Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, David, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Could you introduce yourself to our audience and let them know just a little bit about you? Yeah, my name is Jonathan David Tiller, born and raised in Wildemar, California. You know, born and raised inside FBC, Wildemar, California, Riverside County. But yeah, per me personally, I'm currently, I'm, I, I'm trying to get out more. I'm trying to be social more, trying to enjoy my life a little bit more. There's not really much there to say, to be honest, other than just trying to get away from a whole bunch of stuff, trying to, trying to get away from mostly from religion, especially. I know that might sound a little, I'm not saying, you know, religion is bad everywhere. I'm not. But for me in particular, my impact, I just prefer to stay away from religion. So what was your first interaction with Faith Baptist Mildemar? Was it from birth? Was it, do you remember the time that you guys first started going? And just tell me a little bit about that first initial experience. All right. First initial experience was basically, and it's actually kind of a funny story, basically a youth pastor. And I'm talking like, this is a story that I was told to my mom. This is how she got into it, was a youth pastor from the church came over and wound up getting her into sucked into the church. I wasn't born at the time. So by the time that I was born was about nine years down the road okay. where she was already familiar with church. She was already familiar with everything. And my mom and dad were actually the um, leaders for the one to five-year-old kids classes for Sunday school. And okay. uh, for me, my first experience was probably again when I was four years old five years old I think is my first memory of it and um that was me actually getting to Sunday school which was actually taught by Mrs. Redford I actually do believe at that time and then later on down the road she started focusing more toward the high school students and stuff like that. Would you say that your earliest memories were positive initially or was it did you feel like a negative sense early on or, or what was that initial emotional thought when you were first going? 
Well, for me, I was born handicapped, and the doctors actually believed I had cerebral palsy. And I don't know how many people are aware of that, but basically means that you're not doing anything. You know what I mean? You're you're not going to be able to move around like a lot of people or anything else like that. Thankfully, it was a misdiagnosis. (laughs) But at the time, that's what I was the impression was. So my first experience was the fact that I didn't know anything better. I didn't go outside and play with my neighbors. I didn't go outside and do any of that. My first experience was within the church. My first time that I opened up my eyes was in the church. So just, so just tell me a little bit about kind of growing up in that environment, like, you know, what's your week and day-to-day kind of look like in that world? Since I was disabled, most of my time was spent in hospitals. And then anytime that while I was outside of the hospital, I was usually laying down on my couch, you know, playing the TV, playing the newest console, whatever it was. And that was mostly just because my folks would specifically design me and design my surroundings and made sure that I did not go outside. I lived in a subdivision in Wildemar, California. I knew my neighbors. I knew of them. I never stepped outside to play with them. My parents would actually force me against it because it's quote unquote, the world. So between that, I had to go from home to the hospital, to the hospital, to church, wherever. And I went every week forcefully. I'm just curious on the side. So you said they misdiagnosed it as cerebral palsy. Were they just doing a lot of tests and things or what was the in and out of the hospital? Was it just like a lot of... For me specifically, I think the main key thing, I was not able to think very clearly as a kid. So my voice wasn't yet pronounced. You know, I couldn't clearly say words, you know, yada, yada, yada. And my kidneys actually basically were malfunctioning Mm. and causing them to quit. And the doctors seemed to think that because of that and the fact that my body was not able to physically get up and run or physically do a whole lot of things, that it had to been cerebral palsy. And I've got all this on file. Matter of fact, according to my file, I actually did shrink a couple inches growing up. So, and it's not, I'm like, I've got all this on file too. You know what I mean? I've got all my documentation stating everything that I'm saying. Right. Yeah, no, I was just curious. And it's interesting, like growing up in a religious context, you're already in a bubble. And then to be in a bubble inside of that bubble, you know, is a unique way to experience childhood. And, you know, so for you, when you say, right. So when you say the church, it's literally like your life was home and church. Like that was, that was it. Right. And hospital. So obviously very difficult childhood and very difficult experiences growing up. But what was the first experience you had within the church context that was actually, that you felt was actually negative? Negative was, first, I was growing up, I was very young, so I didn't have a whole lot of friends. The first thing that I started noticing was one, two, maybe three people. I know of a few names. I don't know if I'm allowed to actually share names over this, but I do know a few names that were supposedly my friends. And growing up, the instructors would, since I grew up in that church and in their church's um, educational system, right. AKA the ACE paper, the books and everything else like that. Since I grew up in that, one of the key things was, as I stated a little bit earlier before we even started recording, was, you know, turn the other cheek. For me, I took that a little too literally. So for me, they kept pushing it and pushing it. The time that I started noticing things were not going very well was when I started getting 
basketballs, baseballs, soccer balls, throwing at my nuts, throwing at my back of my head. Uh, sorry, maybe I should use better terminology, the groinal area or, you know, anything, just all over the body, every type of ball. Nobody really cared for me. I was more of the black sheep of the family. So every time that happened, though, and I still remember to this day, four teachers, basically, if you looked at a map of how the church is lined up right now, you'll see a um, kind of like a basketball up by two main buildings. Okay. That actually used to be 100% dirt. Okay. That's when I started growing up. And behind that basketball court was actually two trailers that were okay. used as classrooms instead of a building. So for me, one particular instance that I've always remembered was a individual threw a baseball directly at my groinal area. And obviously I keeled over and you would think, okay, fine. You know, someone is going to reach out Four bloody teachers right there. They saw what happened. They mm. let the kid go and said, turn the other cheek. Their mm. words, not mine. So for me in particularly, I was programmed at that age to think, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek, have fun. You know, it doesn't matter. Let them freaking, you know, harm you both mentally and physically. Let them, it really takes home because you're not even taught that that kind of stuff is wrong. Right. I wasn't, I didn't know. Okay, he threw this at me. I'm going to turn the other cheek. That's what God would want. Right. No, right. it's freaking not. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry, I got so, a little carried away. No, that's fine. So as far as, was this mainly just other students that were, or, or did you feel it was, or did you feel like it was encouraged by staff at all? Or like that it was just kind of laughed off or? It was pushed aside. Okay. I don't know about laughed off or whatever. I think it was more on the case of push aside, turn the other cheek. The kid walks off. So I'm talking like they're actually seeing this happen. Yeah. And they will literally bring the individual, I don't want to say his name, over to me and say, hey, by the way, this wasn't such a good idea, whatever. And two seconds later, I kid you not, walks off the other direction to keep playing with the kids. Right. While I'm on the bloody ground in pain. They didn't yeah. come over and help me out. They didn't come over and say, oh, are you okay? Okay, what's going on? Okay, well, maybe we should get you over to the secretary's office or whatever. Right. They just said, turn the other cheek. Around what grade is this? That was probably third grade. Right. Second, third grade. And how long did this kind of go on? Well, that was my entire childhood. Okay. From many incidences of, you know, me with, you know, as I was telling you earlier with the symptoms, I remember one very vague point where I actually shat my pants. And, you know, normally you would think, you know, for a public school even, yeah, that's going to be a little out there and stuff like that. Sure, that's going to be something you remember. But for them, I literally did it in line with the rest of the students. So everybody knew at that school. And instead of trying to dim it down or whatever, they literally took me to the principal's office and got me home. And just, you know, took me home, didn't do anything to bother with it, didn't do anything to help me, nothing. Honestly, in my opinion, that is just something that kind of, for a young child, and you can even tell by now, because I still remember that shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's many things that went on, from that to the balls to getting a bike, literally the front tire of a bike. Right. So we were playing house on the kindergarten and the grounds. And I'm talking like at that stage, I'm like maybe six years old, seven years old. I remember one time where I didn't know what this meant. 
So we were playing house because the instructor that was watching us, the girls wanted to play house. The girls overruled the guys. AKA, by the way, the six inch rule. Everybody will know what that is. Um, <laughs> so everybody wanted to play house right. for the guys, but the, guy, the girls had it. So we started playing house and I wasn't aware. So one of the things that I wanted in my house at that stage was a full bowl of TVs and over here, man, I'm a full bowl of cigarettes. As soon as I said that, you know, and I'm coming from a child that didn't even know what a cigarette was. I just yeah, heard the it, word. Right. So this kid literally took his bike, the front tire of his bike while he was on it, raised it up and hit me directly in the face. Oh. And I kid you not, the instructor was there. And all she did was, you know, kind of broke him off, off me and just like, no, don't worry about it. You know, yada, 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 turn to me, turn the other cheek. And for me, at that age, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm yeah, glad. Right. I have Bible. You know, I've got my Bible in my hand now. I'm happy. Turn the other cheek. So how did this adapt? Because obviously, you know, you've got your the playground bowling as a younger kid, and you said the bowling continued throughout your entire career. Did you go all the way through high school? Did it did it morph and change the way that that looked as you got older? Or what was so, the, the high school kind of process like? For sure. That's where it gets a little bit more interesting. Because I've got story on story about different things, including the principal actually paying yeah. off some of the kids to be my friends. Really? Yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry. I gotta, I've just realized too, and I just want to check. You were talking about the grounds, and uh, I didn't realize how big the campus was actually. So this is the school then, right here. Yes. And then, and this... then over there, the blue building is where the main auditorium is. Right. And then during my day, that big building that you were indicating. On the lower end, where your cursor is, just a little over to the right, was actually where the Spanish church actually took place. People that have been there will understand where exactly it is. Yeah, I've only ever seen this built. I thought this was the entire property. Oh, no. I see pictures, and then I was looking. I was like, okay, I see all the fleet of buses. This is theirs, too? All back here? Everything is theirs, Oh, wow. And by the way, it's substantially different. I don't know when this image was taken, but it's substantially, uh, substantially different. Like, for instance, the park up there on the top right, that is actually remodeled and has a lot of grass and everything around it now. It. But where the basketball field is, was all dirt. Everything right. over there was dirt. That's what you were describing then. Yes. Right now, you can see like a three buildings right there, one of which is where they actually do the repairs on the buses. And then you see the two trailers there. And yes, those are trailers, not buildings. But right. those were actually a little bit more worn in. They weren't as new as those buildings, but okay. very similar to those. And where that more violence then actually happened was right in between those two buildings. And the teachers were set up in metal chairs, right, in, right where you are, right where your view is. Uh, man, they have a lot of buses. Oh, actually, One, they've two, got three, a lot four. more nowadays. How many attend the, in the auditorium? During the time that I grew up, the church had about, you know, three, I think, three to 600, maybe. And okay. Again, that's coming from a kid's perspective, the time that right. I was there. So my perspective could be a little bit different than an adult that was actually there. Sure. I was stunned when I like pulled up on the map because I was like, oh, where's their basketball court? And I was like, oh, this is actually like a legitimate campus. Well, actually, um, you know, you saw where the baseball field is, right? We actually have a full-fledged grass, well, oh, IFB wow. has a full-fledged baseball court there and football field right in front of it. Yeah, so they own this too then? Oh, all of that, yes. Holy smokes. And this is kind of the reason why I'm so dedicated to trying 
now I'm coming forward so dedicated to try to find everything I can possibly do, every story that I can give to even let one person not have to go through something like that. That is right. a major facility, and they do have a major yeah. impact in Riverside County. That's a very sizable property. You see where those three buses are right there in the middle? Yeah. Okay, yeah. now try to take that entire square right there from the edge of the uh, what appears to be like the beginnings of the football field, because that's where the right. football field is, um, and then take that all the way up to that big square of dirt in the middle, Okay. right there, like all the way to that edge, and then that is all parking lot and buses now, and that's wow. all paved. Wow. Getting back into it, because I'm sure everyone's riveted by my uh, fascination by their uh, their property design but um as far as the high school experience uh, around what year were you there just um i was there up until the age of 16 years old and then my parents moved to montana missoula montana where they've actually gotten into a church called lighthouse baptist church Uh, am i uh, affiliated with that church as well my brother's wife is actually from uh, missoula montana (laughs) oh really yeah so that's a very that's a very direct uh connection which uh is pretty rare, so really beautiful place. But uh, yeah, it's a really random place to to know someone. Yeah, from. I would rather be back in the city. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the high school side, so you're there. I gotta ask. So like, there's a lot of stories out of out of Wildemar. I've covered yes. stories on my show. I've written articles about it. I've, you know, Wildemar has become like a main focus of the podcast and. You know, I'm trying to get more people to come forward who, you know, I know are out there and have, you know, stories of, of abuse. Were you aware or was your family aware of any of the sexual abuse scandals or stories that were floating around at, at the church? Or was that super hush-hush? The individual that I knew from the church was sexually offended and raped at mm. the church. And then okay. I also know of another individual that was molested in the church right and me personally even not molestation or rape but i've actually had a experience where now i can say that was not a good situation for me to have been in and again don't talk about anything you're not comfortable with so so you were there during the period of of you know victor montero and that's one of the big stories that's come out you know fairly recently when you say a not good situation with him was it just knowing something about him or was it was it something where he was you know attempting something with you or i believe that he was i however again this is from a kid that had disabilities and i did not see things clearly but from what i remember and please do not you know i don't want people going off and saying that you know this slap and you're so bad and using my this story specifically to bring negative to him but from the story that I can remember and the story that I currently have and the knowledge base that now I'm aware of. During the time I was learning trombone and this was in high school. I was trying to learn trombone. I was having a hard time. It actually took me outside of the class into the Spanish church, which I showed you on the map where that's kind of like generally located is, you know, he took me over to the Spanish church and uh, sent me down And by then, I don't know why, but it still stays with me today. I remember distinctly, nobody else was there. The entire building was empty. There was nobody working, nobody around, nothing. That that entire area was basically shut off to save on power. So we were there until the practice trombone. Okay. And me and him alone. 
So, like, nowadays, I realize that's not exactly the best situation. Yeah, even if there's no bad intention, it looks bad. Exactly. At the very least, yeah. Exactly. Okay, what the army, why the army always brings one male and two females or two females and one male. Is right. because it's it covers a lot of bases. You know, at that point, I'm thinking, you know, a little bit awkward. And then it went into, if I am remembering this correctly, which I'm 100% I am, I'm just saying this. I want to make sure that it, nothing, no one takes this in the wrong way. You know what I mean? But from what I remember, he actually did put his hand on my toward the kneecap, but not at the kneecap, more toward my thigh kind of position. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And at that point, I probably should have been like, eh, I'm done. But as a kid, I was not aware that that may have been something going on. And during that time, another instructor had entered the room, which is the only reason why I believe nothing actually happened. But that is from personal experience of that situation. However, I do not need that. And please make sure I do not need that story taken any other way than what I remember coming from a kid that was disabled, but still prevalent to me now. Yeah, it's it's important to your story and it's impossible to look at it. I mean, even for you. And by the way, too, like I, I appreciate you giving that a lot of disclaimers and, and, you know, letting people know, you know, hey, this is my experience for what it's worth, you know, and I, to me, that gives you a lot of credibility as a, you know, as someone sharing your story is to, to acknowledge the parts where, you know, hey, something I feel uncomfortable, which is completely valid, something could have happened, which is completely valid, knowing what we know about who he is and, and what he did. Yeah, I appreciate you you doing that. And I, and I don't see any reason anybody listening would interpret what you're saying as, you know, you trying to push a story further than it needs to go. I mean, that's, so I appreciate that and commend that. But yeah, it's, it's impossible, even now looking back to look at that situation without the knowledge of everything we know about who he is now, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And so there's going to be that questioning. And based on what we know now, like it's not far off, that would be the intent of what he was doing. And, and that's something with Wildemar where I'm stunned by, especially a church of that size, like how much freedom they gave teachers with students. I mean, you look at even... During that time, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure now, I mean, I hope now, you know, I would assume that there's a lot more strict rules about, you know, don't be counseling with the door shut, don't be... Also, I, don't, I don't care it's, about any of that, I just want to shut down. Yeah. So what is it that provokes that strong reaction? Because you've, you've said that a couple of times that you want to <laughs> shut down... And, and I know, obviously, you know, people who've been abused, you, you know, you yourself had really terrible experiences growing up in that world. But I, I always ask on the show, what is it that makes you think that, you know, you don't necessarily want them to fix themselves and ref, like reframe their policies, you just rather see them shut down altogether? What is it that kind of draws you to that point? What draws me to that point is the fact that for that church, six inch rule is a massive rule, especially when I was growing up. So six-inch rule, meaning guys had to be six inches from the girls, yada, 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 you know. Right. But the problem is, and this is where my passion really kind of takes spark. For me particularly, I was maybe about 12 years old, 13 years old, and it was this one chick that I really kind of fond of, and I would really miss because she was actually leaving the church, her and her family. Which I, I thought, you know, they were just going to go off to a different church because that's what the church said. So, you know, I kind of blew her a kiss, like just 
you know, regular. I was a kid. I was going through puberty, you know. You're trying to be but, a cool, a cool, yeah. sly teenage boy, you know. Yeah. But guess what happened? Instead of you saying, oh, you're just being a cool, sly teenage boy, maybe, <laughs> you know, sit down and talk to him. You know, yeah. let him know what's going on. Let him know why that might not be so good. They wound up doing three months, about 200 verses a day for three mm-hmm. months that I had to personally, with pencil, hand write. And my apologies, but that was an actual thing in their religion. They wouldn't teach you what is marijuana. They wouldn't teach you what, is our, what are drugs and what that actually means, the word drug mean. They wouldn't teach you about what is the human biological aspects of a female or mm. what is that kind of thing. I'm like, normally in public schools, you get taught sex ed yeah, from right. a very young age. You know what I mean? You yeah. just do because people need to be aware. Even kids, and you know, I'm not saying that I'm 100% supportive of that, but and there is a, there is an age where that is 100%. I would 100% guarantee it. I, I mean, I can just speak from my experience of growing up in that context. I mean, my experience was not as extreme as as Wildemar, but my experience when it came to the topic of sex in general was like totally me and my friends and every had no idea, you know, like, exactly. like not, not some idea or an inkling, like no idea. And, right. and I've talked about this on the show before, but I think when you leave people with, you know, absolutely no information, no education, and then you hyper, like you hyper restrict them from say, don't think about that. Don't, you know, don't look at that. You put them in a position where it creates a very strong curiosity. And, and then it also creates, especially when you already are a a teenager going through this process anyway, it creates a lot of confusion and frustration. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of abuse that we see within churches, and again, not everyone who goes through this upbringing becomes an abuser and not everybody who's an abuser should be able to point at their upbringing and just say, oh, it's because of that. But also I think the reason you see a lot of rape, you see a lot of molestation is because there is a deep-rooted problem in their understanding of what sex is. And there's a lot of pent-up frustration, you know, repressed sexuality, all of that stuff. And again, yeah, which is never good. It does not in any way justify them for what they're doing because, you know. And they're going to put their name, their God's name in front of that to qualify what they're doing. Exactly. And so I think that's interesting you brought that up because it is, it's what you said. It's this ultra heavy restriction, but it's also like you have no idea really what you're restricted from <laughs> and Correct. and why, and why is it harmful to do this early or, you know, fill in the blank. So what it sounds like basically is that your concern is the mindset that's being taught at the church and the school primarily. Not basically in a roundabout way, yes. The mindset okay. is going to be a very, very, very hit point kind of thing. The other thing that you have to consider though is the fact that one, they're using a God and I'm not, I am never going to say God as their God. I, I do believe that there is a God. I will say that right now. I do. I am not religious in any way, shape or form. In public, I am go as an atheist just because I will not. But on here, I don't mind saying it. I do believe in a God. And if my God does exist, I believe that hopefully he'll bring Valhalla to me. You know what I mean? I kind of prefer it. At the same time, they'll use their God, which is completely different than what a God truly is, in my opinion. For instance, they will literally use his name to promote in certain ways, and also, by the way, one thing that I absolutely hate 
is the fact that those churches think that they can literally say tithe. And in that church, tithe meant giving it to the missions field, giving it to, you know, people in need, this organization, yada, yada. Lies. Mm. Sorry to say it, guys. Sorry that this is your... It's lies. I've been in the accounting room when I was a kid. It's lies. Mm. Because what they do is, sure, 20%, 30% of it, yeah, goes to the mission field, goes to whatever they're going to say. A good portion of that goes to the pastor himself. Mm. And anybody else the pastor needs, feels, or needs necessary to pay or to buy land for the church, whatever. And they use their God's name and they're using the missions field and everything else to promote the fact that, oh, we want money because I want to live a better life because I want to buy some groceries next week. If I just told you that straight up, that would be a little different. You know, then I'd be like, okay, you know what? I can understand. Yeah, I don't mind tithing, but they don't. No. How were you in the accounting room? Were your family weren't staff, right? My family were staff. Oh, okay. very good portion of the staff. My dad actually was the head for, again, the one to five-year-old kids class. And actually, I do believe maybe six, but anyway, one to five-year-old, basically, he was uh, head over. So basically, he ran the whole area. I think he had a few teachers, including my mom, underneath him, and he would run that area. Plus, whenever the deacons needed help to counting, and that's how I got in the accounting room, was my mom couldn't take care of me at the time. My dad was, so he had me come to the accounting room with him, which, by the way, those doors are normally locked. But I can even show you on a map where it was. Currently, it's been changed. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's now the secretary's office, but um, I could be mistaken on that. Right before I left, it was turned into the, yeah, that's right. It was turned into the kindergarten, the kindergarten um, office, the classroom, whatever you want to call it. But that's how I got in. And then I started doing digging um, when I was older. Uh, I got away from the church when I was 18. So I started doing research on different religions, Mormon, Catholic, all this kind of jazz, been trying to narrow down what's going on. And you'd be surprised, but a lot of people on their bulletins or whenever they're talking about tithes and stuff like that, they'll actually say, you know, this is to help the church. This is to help this situation. This is to help this, not we're here to be righteous and I want to give money to this mission field. Okay. Let's say you put $20 in that. Okay. $17 here for the pastor. A couple bucks here. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now it's uh 20, the full 20 for legal fees and the, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So family heavily involved. You're going through high school. Oh, um, heavily what- involved to the point that I couldn't actually, I, there's been times where I fake bombed to get out of Just church. to get out of stuff. Right. And so you were there pretty much seven days a week then? Yes, absolutely. Well, six days a week. On the count of during that time, we had, which basically, uh, the time that they take to go out to preach the gospel to housing and yeah, stuff vi- like that. Visitation or soul winning? Yeah. or Soul winning, there you go. But yeah, that was basically on Saturdays. And then there was Wednesday church. And then Monday through Friday, I had school. Plus every now and then, depending on if a pastor had came from a different town or if they're doing a conference, whatever, then it would be Monday through Thursday. And then also Saturday and Sunday, because they still wanted to keep their same things going along with any events that they had going on, um, along with any kind of children's activities, whatnot. When I was a teenager, we did even Friday night stuff, you know, where we would do like games and stuff like that. 
but not once did they ever talk about anything other than soul winning, reading the Bible. By the way, try to read the Bible two times a year. Right. That was my family, and I had to do that. You know, by the way, I could probably become a youth pastor for those guys. Right. <laughs> but hell, I'm not going to. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> So, oh, I wonder. <laughs> but so tell me a little bit about just the after getting near to the end of high school. And if I'm skipping over anything, just feel free to stop me. But was the end of high school the end of your journey with them? Did you proceed to like Bible college or like what was the next step after like turning 18? You know, kind of which way did you go after that? Well, keeping in mind, I want to highlight one more thing that okay. happened a little bit before, and then I'll jump right into yeah. uh, that. One other thing is just, it is actually a medieval torture to actually have people handwrite verses. And that was one of the major punishments in the church was for the kids to handwrite like verses, like long verses, however many times, 20 times, 30 times was common. But that's how they actually dealt with punishment in that church. Hmm. So at least the time that I was growing up, I can't say much for it now because I haven't stepped foot in that church since I was 16 years old. And I haven't stepped foot into, well, I have stepped foot into a church, but I haven't really gone back to it since I was 18. I've tried and I can't tell you on how many girlfriends I've lost because I would always tell them, hell no, this is what's going on with your church. This is what's going on. Yeah, I've lost so many. <laughs> but no. Um, so my experience coming out of that church was when I was 18 years old, I went to Utah, Salt Lake City Job Corps. Well, not Salt Lake City, it's Clearfield, but it's it's about a 20 minute drive from Salt Lake City. I went to Job Corps and you're talking about a kid that has no experience in anything, like no sexual life, no um, social life, how to meet and, and greet another individual. I still struggle with that today, both of them in fact, but I still struggle with that today, which is actually really bad for me and my health, to be honest with you. I've actually, it's kind of why I'm seeing a therapist now. No interactions, no understanding of drugs, alcohol, no understanding of sex, violence, no understanding of what the word gang meant, no understanding anything. I literally jumped onto a plane and went to Utah, where if you know anything about Utah, Salt Lake City area, it's actually pretty big, you know, especially for an 18 year old. You know what I mean? I mean, like, obviously, it's not like downtown LA. Go LA. No, but it's but, it's sizable, for sure. Indeed. For me, going there, I wound up getting myself into a lot of trouble. A lot of, when I first got there, in fact, I started realizing that my neighbors, well, my roommates and my neighbors were all into drugs and everything else like that. I didn't even realize what that was until about a week later when I started smoking some marijuana in the bathroom. And I'm talking like legit, like hitting it, you know, like they showed me, like hit it three times, suck in three times, then spew it out because we were in the bathroom. You know, we would let the water go for a long period of time to get really hot and let the vapes and everything. So everything could get out of the building and we wouldn't be caught with it. I started doing a lot of that stuff. I've also seen them, never partaken, never partaken but I have seen them actually cutting pills in front of me mm. and like actual, actually prescribed dopamine type pills start cutting them and snorting them in front of me. I've seen a whole bunch of stuff. And from a kid like that coming into an environment like that was one different. 
definitely different. I didn't know how to socialize. I didn't know how to say, hi, my name's David. You know what I mean? Sorry, David is the name that I go by now. My full name is Jonathan David Tiller. So I go by David. But um, I didn't know how to greet someone. I didn't know what this meant. Hell, I didn't even know what music was. Right. I'm like, legit, this is where I get a lot of people because I'm a DJ right now. I'm like (laughs) training to be a DJ. And this is what a lot of people don't get. I didn't know music until I was 18. Yeah. My first song I ever listened to was Josh Groban. Hmm. Remember when it rained. That was the very first song I have ever listened to outside of the church, outside of the hymns. Other than that, I had not listened to a single song, a single album of any artist. Wow. And people literally, we were there and we were doing a wedding. We were safe because we were away from the actual city and everything and up into the mountains since I'm in Missoula. And we had about like two or 300 people there. So it's about an hour drive from Missoula. So we were doing a gig and I had a couple kids come up and started talking to me about the equipment and how I do all this and what's this program like and yada, yada, yada. And then I told them that and they were like, they're just stunned. Like mouth drop, drop no. everything. They were like, how are you a DJ? Right. <laughs> right. Passion. Yeah, so long story short, I got up into a gang in Utah as well. Um, and I, I qualify them as a gang. They were, quote unquote, the Brotherhood. Okay, that's about as gang sounding as you get. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of hurts, especially when you're a kid like that. And they wind up taking a gun out of a glove compartment. The driver gets out of the car, walks into an apartment, comes back with a kilo of weed right. for us to sell. And I, at that time, I didn't even know what that meant. You know what yeah. I mean? And then I will tell you about one more thing. Twenty one, I was raped. Hmm at the age of 21. And that was actually here in Montana, in Missoula. I had no recollection, uh, rec- what's the word? Rec- recollection. Recollection. That word. Some word reason I'm knowing how I'm saying it right now. Um, so I had no idea what it actually was. I didn't even know until about the age of 22 that I start realizing what that actually meant or what, what molestation meant, what everything meant. And I learned that from Job Corps in, in the clear water of Montana. So mm. it's been a long road trying to learn. Even yeah. when I was 21, my parents didn't tell me anything. They didn't tell me about sex ed, nothing. I learned sex ed from job. They didn't tell me anything dealing with anything. I'm like, I think the highlight of my story was uh, I'm 26 right now. And the highlight of my story, I would say would probably be when I was 23 years old, my sister who is a survivor she allowed me to actually move to Kansas with her Mm. and where I literally had to grow up and learn how to live on my own within three years time. Right. Even to this day though, I still have issues with walking. Matter of fact, I'm seeing a physical therapy for that. And I'm also doing a lot of stuff to kind of like help get my, get my body and everything back up in line. Thankfully, a lot of my medical stuff in my past no longer has effects. The only medical stuff is more mental of right. my past, which I'm currently seeing a ther- therapist for. But yeah. yeah, which is awesome too. And I've been saying, you know, I mean, that's something I need to I need to get on for myself. You know, is is um, start taking some of those steps. And you know, it's just as important as taking care of your body. I mean, taking care of your mind is super important. And you know, especially coming out of that world where there's a stigma around that stuff. I mean, I, I think it's really cool you're talking about that. And and I think it's I think it's important. You know, it's, especially when, like you said, when you are trying to adjust and understand who you are, but also 
life doesn't stop for you to figure that out. So, no, um, you know, yeah. So it, it really helps to, to have that along the journey. So I'm like, hell man, it wasn't until I was 16 that I was able to finally go out and play with the neighbors. And that was with my brother. And wow. that was the only time that I could. I mean, I mean, you mentioned obviously therapy and things, but what's been most helpful for you the last couple of years, kind of stepping out away from it and trying to, you know, get things back in order and I guess put things in order for the first time, you know, since leaving. Since leaving, I'm going to have to give that one to my sister and my brother. They really did help show me that, hey, by the way, this is, you know, I understand now that you're talking about sex ed to us. They were the ones that were actually open. They were the ones that actually said, hey, look, you can talk about sex. It's okay. Hey, look, you can yeah, talk about right. this. It's okay. Hey, look, you can talk about, you know, people beating you up when you're a kid. It's okay. And hey, by the way, music, it's okay. You don't have to hide music from us because it was at that point. You don't have to hide music. You don't have to hide this. You don't have to. Like, look, let me show you, you know, come on, let's go downtown where there's blaring music where I went to a Ben Sevenfold concert. Go Ben Sevenfold. But, um... <laughs> I'm sorry, I love the band. But that was actually my first concert that I ever went to, and that was with my sister and my brother. I had no idea what it was like. I always thought it would be cool to go. I never knew what it was really like until I got there. And the best freaking day ever. But yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm really, that's, that's when I really kind of hit home for me. It was like, wait a minute. You're telling me it's okay to actually, when I can talk to a girl? One minute, one minute, one minute. You mean I can actually talk to you specifically about sexual things and what's going on in my head? Or, wait a minute, you're saying that I can actually listen to music and have it blaring loud and no one's going to care? Like, that's actually a thing? Like, wait a minute, we're not going to church this Sunday? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, just adapting to normal, pretty much. And for a kid of my age, not having any of that information or any of that knowledge of what the church would say, quote-unquote, the world... I literally had to grow up from, say, 13, 16 years old kid to being the age that I was. And I'm not saying that I'm fully mature or anything. I've still got a hell of a lot of, a lot of work to go. But I'm 26, almost 27. And it's taken, I literally had to evolve by the time that I was 23 to turn my life around, start realizing what was going on, and get my high school diploma because I dropped out. Man, I was done with it. I dropped out. So I had to get a high school diploma and everything. And by the way, one other thing for kids that grew up with, like, in my area, the paperwork and the school and everything, not accredited to any high school, college, doesn't matter. Not accredited, which is also a very, very massive problem, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Because all they're going to teach you is how to become a fucking pastor or youth minister or missionary. Well, man, I really appreciate you sharing. And and I, yeah, like you said, you've come a long way. It's not been obviously not been easy, but I, I appreciate you kind of sharing your journey and, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, kind of where you keep going and, and keep, you know, getting to basically, like I said, adapt to normal. So, yes, sir. but, uh, but yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, man. And seriously, like, you know, keep up the good work. It's awesome. Just hearing that you're, you know, feel like you're kind of starting to settle into just normal, you know, which is, which is well, great. Even right now, I'm still kind of working on that. But no, since then, I've still had difficulties uh, in getting out. And this is something that you can post. I had difficulties getting out um, of my apartment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just just out of my apartment alone to go do yeah. my job. So I wound up working for a security company called Securitas. And I highly recommend them. 
but I was working for that company and I actually had to quit that because my arthritis was acting up because I was standing for like 12 hours straight. And so I, I've not been actually social again until pretty much maybe about a month and a half ago. Hmm. And I just now started trying to get to be more social. My gigs and everything else like that with the GG stuff yeah. didn't start up until about a month ago either. Right. Yeah. So, so it's it's a long process. And for anybody that's out there and trying to survive, anybody that even you would recommend, I'm always up to listening as well. And anything I can do via a lawyer, anything I can do to shut down that church, feel free to contact me because I will 100%. I will do everything in within my power to make sure that I can do everything to help. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, I got to hop off here, but I, I, I really do appreciate um, connecting and I hope we can stay connected here in the next couple of weeks and months. And, you know, I, again, I really appreciate you coming on sharing. It's, it's, I tell everybody, it's not, these are kind of awkward conversations to jump in and out of because it's a, it's a heavy topic, but um, I, I'm always appreciative when people are willing to, to jump in and share. Well, so. I appreciate you guys having me because the story has just been, something that's been on my chest for a long time and i'm finally just getting to that point where i can it's been a grudge of mine for a long time so i'm finally getting it done i'm coming out and i'm just doing everything i can that's awesome man thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast if you appreciated the content on the show Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.